Our second reading this morning is from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 to 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. The Lord will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one then who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Let us pray. Almighty God, we ask that as your scripture has been read and your word is proclaimed, that the meditations of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be not only pleasing and acceptable to you, but that they open us to the new possibilities you call us to. Amen. I'll start off this morning by asking the same question I asked the youth, but you don't have to respond this time, which is, have you ever spent time with a a loved one or a family member or close friend, or even by yourself, and realize that time can move in ways you didn't expect. I'm talking about those moments where you think only one hour has passed, but in reality, it was more like four. I'm talking about those special occasions where you have quality time, and you find that you are so wrapped up in whatever it is you are doing, you discover that the morning has quickly turned into dusk. We might describe those experiences as being the very definition of a good time. As we look at the passage for today, we find ourselves asking a similar question about what it means to have a good time. And we find ourselves asking, have we been intentional intentional about also having those kind of good times with God as well? Are we living with God as Christ is with God? and with each other as Christ is also with us. During this past week, during a Bible study, I mentioned how we often associate the book of Revelation with apocalyptic images of fire and brimstone falling out from the sky, with images that are reminiscent of modern interpretations such as the popular Left Behind series. But we don't find any of those things in the reading this morning. There is no fire, there is no brimstone, there is no separating of the chaff from the wheat. Instead, what we find is a much more confusing scene. 
Instead of the expected violent cleansing of the world, God comes down from heaven to be with a world that is in fact hurting. God makes a home among the messiness and all the chaos and claims that there will be a new creation, a home where there will be no more death, no more mourning and crying, a home where the first things have passed away. When we hear those words, the promise of God making all things new, we might not think, or we might think instead, we might think that they are more uh, about a far-off, distant future, about what it's going to look like. We might not believe that those words carry any kind of significant weight in the here and now. This tension with the future and the present is not something that's new, in case you're wondering. People across the ages have wrestled with what it means to live with the future promises that come from the divine in the current situations they and we find ourselves in, in our daily lives. And it isn't easy to reconcile these things when we find that there are lots of things that are on our mind. When we're concerned about things like work or finances, or when we're wrestling with relationships or find that we're in a cloud of grief. This tension of living in the present and in the future is commonly known as the in-between time that falls somewhere in the middle of the present and the future. It's a brain teaser and one that I'm not very good at, I admittedly. And if you have the answer, please let me know. But I don't believe that there's a clear and succinct reply to those who find themselves asking how the promises of God speak to us, not only now, but in the days to come as well. And when we add into the mix then the turbulence of life and its many ups and downs, it can be hard to see how this new creation is ever going to come into existence. As someone reminded me, that takes faith which is easier said than done sometimes. But perhaps it also requires a faith that is persistent and persevering, a faith that is able to adapt to our rapidly changing world and meet the needs of not only our own souls that are hungry and thirsty, but the souls of those around us as well. John of Patmos is traditionally thought to be the writer of this book. And he was in quite a predicament himself when he wrote the words that we find in the book of Revelation. It was said that John was someone who was exiled to Patmos by the Romans during a time of, uh, of reported conflict between the government and the growing religious diversity within the empire. I imagine that if we were to place ourselves in John's shoes, it would be tempting to think that the world was coming to an end and that things were just going to end up in one big pile of ash. But John saw something different. John saw beyond the imminent threat and fear and sets for us a focal point to set our eyes upon when we struggle with the complexities of life. It can be hard living as people who exist in the in-between time, of the present and the future promises of God. 
And what complicates the matter even more is that the future isn't just some far-off time, but like I said before, it is also now. From the ashes, from death and chaos, God makes all things new today and tomorrow and the day after tomorrow. If it sounds confusing, that's because it is. And what's essential for us to take away then is that we live in faith knowing that God is the one constant, the one who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Everything around is always going to be in some kind of state of flux, but the love, the commitment of God is something that has been steadfast for generations. It is what has allowed new things to come out from the ashes and bloom into beautiful new things that God is doing in our lives and in our world today. Recognizing these things, there are a couple points in this morning's reading that I think we should truly take to heart as we go about our uh, daily routines. The first is that the author is asking whether or not we are going to side with God and be a part of this new creation. It's an important question, because God and God can cast the vision for us, but if there isn't any buy-in from all of us, then what's the point? So let us consider these words you heard earlier from a slightly different perspective. In the scriptures, we hear these words, Idu kaina poe panta, Behold, I make all things new. Panta is the Koine Greek word for all. But this word panta doesn't just mean all in a way that comes with stipulations and expectations. It means all in the very purest sense of the word. It refers to every part, every piece, everything that makes up the whole. The love that God has for creation for us shouldn't be something that's shocking or new. It is unfortunate that we have to remind ourselves that God loves us just the way we are, but this passage from Revelation should bring us back and to the very beginning of the book of Genesis, where we find that after God had created the world, it was pronounced to be good. Except this time, things are different. We are meeting God, being with God as people we were created to be. Unlike the story in the very beginning in Genesis, we are able to be with God fully, even after having obtained knowledge from that forbidden tree. All of these things, and I mean all of it, are a part of God's new creation. And this vision is set before us, and we are asked whether or not we are going to commit ourselves as disciples who bring their own unique stories, their own experiences, whether or not we're going to bring these things to the table. And the second point that I think is important for us this morning is that once we commit ourselves to this new creation, there is a responsibility to be an active participant a steward, a disciple. In our first reading this morning, we hear Jesus speak these words, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
The new creation requires not only a buy-in or a sense of dedication, but investment as well. It's one thing to say that you're going to be part of this new creation, but it's another to say that you're an active participant. I think that this is something we have a harder time understanding when compared to other faith communities around the world, especially those in the global south. Most of us here probably would say that we think of the new heaven and the new earth as being something that are not really connected with our current age and that they're separate entities. But for many who come from places like South America and Africa, the new heaven and the new earth are likened to that of a village where all people are free to walk in and commune with not just the physical but the spiritual as well. It may sound like something out of a book of fantasy, but the reality is that this is a picture of how we should interact with the world around us. We interact not just with the physical, but at the same time we interact with the spark of the divine that is inside each and every one of us. The spark that is within you, within me, and with all of creation. This passage tells the tale of the changing of seasons, the different phases we go through in life while remaining in the steadfast arms of God. From the ashes comes new life, and from new life, new opportunities, and from those new opportunities, we discover where it is God is calling us to go. There's an old hymn called I Sing a Song of the Saints of God that ends with a verse that I think really ties it all together. The words of those verse go like this. They lived not only in ages past, there are hundreds of thousands still. The world is bright with joyous saints who love to do Jesus' will. You can meet them in school or in lanes or at sea, in church or in trains or in shops or at tea, though I would add coffee also. For the saints of God are just like me, and I mean to be one too. The saints of God, the merging of the physical and the spiritual, the rising of new life from the ashes happens every day. While we hold fast to the promises of God that are to come, we also hold fast to the promises of the future that are with us today, tomorrow, and for the days to come. So let us carry onward as a people who offer what they have, embrace who they are, and grow with the community of saints and creation as God makes all things new forever and ever. Amen.